Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. We're going to begin with verse 53, but then move into the final chapter of this book. We've been studying for a long time. We've all heard the saying, uh, something is too good to be true, whether it's uh, the infamous emails uh, from Nigeria that are letting you know that they have millions of dollars to send to the U.S. and they need you to help, and if you do so, you will get a portion of, of that money. And somewhere down the line, you just have to give them a little of your bank information and there's actually a, a version of this type of, of con for pastors. I have gotten a few of these. They're from uh, England, where you get an email uh, from a pastor who has a conference letting you know they've heard of your ministry and they want you to come and speak at their conference. And they're excited for it and they want to pay you $10,000 to come and speak at their conference. And then as you go back and forth, now, I never believed anyone had heard of me, and I knew no one to pay me that much. But I did look it up. And, and so eventually, as you're paying for fees and visas, you know, they're getting your money for you. And then pastors have actually gone there and to the church and found out they don't have a conference. So there, there are lots of ways in which they, we're told things that really are too good to be true. Uh, but the opposite at times is also true. There are some realities that really are better than we believe. And Jesus' disciples are about to learn that for as much as they love Jesus, uh, he is even greater than they had believed. So let's begin reading Luke 23, verse 53. There was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was a member of the council, the council that had put Jesus to death, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. The women who had come with him from Galilee, I read that, didn't I? Verse 1, chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away 
from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. He went home marveling at what had happened. Our Heavenly Father, we, we have these wondrous truths of what has happened to our Lord and what He has done. We want to know them well. We want them to be so indwelling in our thoughts that they change the way we live and look at the world. And so give us grace for this, grace to connect your word with our lives. And may it build faith in the hearts of everyone here, everyone listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples are heartbroken. They're numb with shock, and it feels as though their their lives have been set adrift. They have been traveling with Jesus. They had such hopes of what would be accomplished, and now it seems as though it's all lost and for nothing. All they can do now is to find some last ways to honor Jesus' body before it's buried and gone. So Joseph, he he takes the body down, we're told. You imagine removing the nails, carrying the body, wrapping it in linens, laying it in that tomb, rolling the huge stone in front of it and thinking, that's it. The women who were watching everything at a distance and were gathering spices and ointments to prepare Jesus' body, probably spending more than they should have. Wouldn't you have done that? If you were in their place, you would have done beyond what you could have afforded. You, wanted, you would have wanted to do all you could in that moment. 
We're told they were, they were up early after the Sabbath. They hadn't thought it all through how they would get into the tomb, but they came loaded with those spices and ointments. The, the word early means at the crack of dawn. It was still dark. The light just starting to come up. They had probably slept very little that night, wanting to get there as soon as they could. And suddenly they're confronted with yet another unexpected shock. The tomb, it's, it's empty. The, the stone is, is pushed aside. Why is the tomb open? Where's the body? What is happening? They're, they're standing perplexed, not knowing what to do. And then angels appear looking like men. Yet in, in a brilliance of glory, just a sliver of the glory that Jesus has. And yet they were on their faces overwhelmed, their faces on the ground, frightened. And the angels begin to speak to them. They, at first, they, they gently chide the women. In verse 5, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why would you think Jesus was still dead? For hasn't he told you that he would be raised? And then they, they instructed the women, letting them know this was what Jesus came to do. It is what he had to do. He must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. He must then be raised. And just as angels had 33 years before, they, they brought Good news of great joy. The one who is born is now risen from the dead. You wonder if it was the same angels or if there were different ones. I would think angels too would want their chance. That those who had been able to, to come before the shepherds and other angels letting the Lord, no, no, they got to do it before. This is our chance. Certainly we know they love to proclaim and exalt their Lord Jesus. And here, letting this news, he has risen to those who did love the Lord but were brokenhearted. The women immediately run to the apostles to let them know. Verse 9, returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They're like the shepherds years before who had heard what the angels had proclaimed and then went to the town telling everyone what they had seen and heard. That's what these women were doing, but the the men, the apostles, don't believe them. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This was not simply, 
we're just not sure about what you're saying, doubting. Uh, the words for idle tale are actually a, a, a medical phrase that was used to describe uh, the ranting of someone who was delirious. In other words, the women are crazy what they're coming up with. Despite everything they knew of Jesus, all that they had seen him do, they, they had seen him raise the dead himself, all that they claimed to believe about who he was and all he had taught, and yet the resurrection to them was simply too good to believe. And I think that God's disciples today have a similar struggle as the disciples then. Like those disciples, we, we struggle to remember, and like those disciples, we need to more fully believe. First, that we need to remember, we see in verse 6, that after the angels had laid out to the women, this is what Jesus had told you he must do. It says, then they remembered. We have to ask, how do you forget resurrection? Isn't that rather a big thing to hear? If someone that you knew who was on their sickbed and dying and then told you, uh, don't worry because next week I'm going to be raised from the dead. Now, you might not believe what they were saying, but would you forget that they said it? And yet, these women have to remember that Jesus indeed had taught that he would be raised. There are many things that we know of God. And if someone was to state the truth to us, we would say, oh yes, I know that, I believe that. And yet, the circumstances of life can overwhelm things that we know so that we're not mindful of them. We're forgetful of truths that we say we believe. And so God becomes a little bit less than He is in our hearts and minds. And what he has said, that at other times we'd have said, this is the truth of God. It, it seems a little bit less powerful, and maybe less true than it did at other times. Whether it's the social forces of our world where it seems ungodliness has risen up to such an extent that we feel as though we and the church and the work of God will be swallowed up and brushed aside by it. It seems so great, forgetting who God is, that every living creature is sustained moment by moment by the power of God. Nothing is in existence without the active power of God to sustain them. 
that he remains Lord of all that he has created, that he has purpose and plan and promises he has made. He has given us a book at the end of Scripture letting us know how everything ends. And yet, we can forget where it's not as powerful in our minds. Or a pandemic hits or relationships are frayed, or health fails, or money is short. And those circumstances are just pressed in front of our face, and they become so big, we're not seeing, we're not remembering the much bigger truths of God, the infinitely greater truths of God just kind of drift from our minds. We need help keeping the truths of Christ and his gospel in our minds and our hearts. We need help remembering. And God has given us numbers of helps. God has given us means, if we will use them, to remain mindful of the wondrous truths of God. Think of the Lord's Supper itself and why Jesus told us to regularly have this meal. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, Share this meal together that you would remind, you would remember that God became flesh. That body was broken. True, real blood was shed, paying the price for your guilt and sin. These are historical facts. These are historical events. God has done it. Feed on him. Remember how committed he is to you. Remember how far he has gone already for you. The word of God, which we have, so we're not dependent on, well, what did that person say or what did that pastor preach? We, we open the word of God and, and here is perfect, complete truth all we need for life and godliness right here. And we can read it and think about it and, and know, okay, this, this is true. This won't fail. This will stand forever. I've been reading the Bible for a long time. I began the habit of it in grade school. I've read the Bible many times, and yet I still find myself needing to, to remind myself to slow down and actually take in what I'm reading. It can just become, okay, this is the page I'm getting through, and you're already thinking of what's after rather than just God speaks. This is true. This is given for me. We need to be, remember the word of God is not a duty to do because that's what Christians check off each day to be faithful. It's God speaks to his people. And he's given us 
the truth we need. Feed on it. Think about it. Don't worry about how much you read. Just take what you read and think about it. And if you have to read the same verses the next day, you can spend as many days as you want. It's good to have a system to keep at it, but approach God's word anyway. Sometimes I just read it in large blocks, getting the whole thing. Sometimes it's reading a book over and over and over. Sometimes I listen to it. Sometimes I read it out loud. Just get it in your heart so it's in your life. So we're mindful of it. There is the Lord's Supper. There is the Word of God. There is the church. So that we're not just on our own out there trying to make it work. We have fellow believers, our forever family, singing with us, listening with us. And afterwards we can talk together about it. We can listen to each other, know what to pray for, give encouragement to those that are down. So that next week we receive it. When we're discouraged, we are Meant to be together, connected, to help each other be mindful. At times to challenge each other, to remind each other, to encourage each other. That's why we have our, our small groups. And even just in conversation with one another. If we get in the habit of talking about what God is doing, or what we're learning, or how we're involved, talking about the activity of God in our lives and around us keeps us remembering that God really is active. And that not only encourages our own soul, it encourages each other. I think of the deriders who both... I think of conversations with them, and at some point we're going to be talking about what God is doing in their life or through them. That's a help for all of us to have that habit and way of, of always thinking of the Lord to bring him into conversation somehow. Like those disciples, we need to remember And like those disciples, we need to believe more fully. We're told the apostles, these great men, simply did not believe what the women told them. Now, these disciples, they they thought they believed in Jesus deeply. And in many ways they did. They're the ones that left behind their lives and went on the road and followed him. They're ones who listened to untold hours of his teaching. They're the ones who struggled in different ways against the opposition as as accusations were coming. They're the ones obeying what he said. They did believe, but they didn't believe as much as they thought. And that's true in some ways of all of us. We do believe. We're like the man I believe. Help my unbelief. Over the years, I've grown in the conviction that part of the 
the purpose of what I'm seeking to accomplish in preaching and teaching is help God's people to see where maybe you're not believing as much as you thought you were. To show that things that we say we know, uh, well, if we dig into it, it's not impacting us as much as it should if we believe more fully. And that can be in different ways for each of us. The disciples thought they believed, and yet they missed something as big as resurrection. And even when the women came with the evidence of what angels had told them, they simply didn't accept it. Now, there are a few reasons why we struggle to believe more fully, why we don't believe as much as we may think. One reason is that there are some areas of our life where biblical thinking hasn't replaced just our normal way of thinking, how we grew up, what we think is just a natural perspective. And Scripture hasn't pushed all of that out and replaced it. Uh, For example, uh, how we respond to people based upon how they treat us. Sometimes we can fall into, well, if people are kind to me, I'll be kind to them, but if they're going to be mean to me, well, I'll just respond back to them. I'll respond in kind. That's how the world Acts that seems reasonable, but it certainly isn't biblical. We don't let other people set the tone for how we're acting. The Lord Jesus, His Word, His work in us, that's what sets the tone. We ignore that we actually slander people easily and often. We we see or hear something and we don't like it and we come to our own idea of why they did that and we talk as if we actually know their motives and we share about situations that bother us and we weren't there for the decisions and we don't know what they heard or what actually happened and we can easily speak very negative about people we don't know and sometimes people we do and we really don't know all that happened, what they said or not. We don't know what was going on, but we can so quickly and easily make comments about people without knowing. Even if we don't say it to anyone else, if we think it falsely to ourselves, we've just slandered them in our own heart. Or fear-based responses. The fear of what might happen causes us to try to grab control of situations. We're going to fix it. We're going to make it work, especially with family. We're going to make this work with our kids or our spouse or someone else, and we just grab a hold without recognizing that perhaps we need to follow after what God is doing and trust Him in some of these situations. But fear 
makes us rush in and not always act as wisely and biblically as we should. So our biblical truths haven't replaced all of our normal ways of thinking. And some biblical truths, to be honest, are so familiar to us, we've spoken of them so often, we don't even realize that we don't understand them fully. The word or phrase, born again. How often have you spoken of someone being born again, spoken of yourself or someone else being born again? Do we truly understand the magnitude of what has happened when the Spirit has created us new? The way we respond to sin, oh, I can't stop that, or I can't change, or this is my temperament. Uh, We act and talk in ways as though we're just that person we have been with some moral changes, not recognizing how fully and fundamentally the Spirit of God has changed who we are. And we speak of being born again without fully understanding the power and magnitude that we are born again. Or what seems like a simple phrase that Paul uses over and over again, that we are in Christ. And we read that hundreds of times. We're in Christ without a single thought about it. And yet, it's staggering that all that Christ has done and accomplished belongs to us. We are supernaturally connected to his death, resurrection, his rule, his victories, his authority. We're connected to it in a way that is impossible for anyone to break. We are in Christ. And we hear it as though it's just sincerely yours. You know, just some little phrase. Redeemed. The price has been paid in full. We have been bought out of slavery, out of guilt. It's been paid. There is, there is no guilt left on us. And yet, as, as Hudson had shared, we feel guilty and we feel God's just shaking his head and doesn't want to see us or hear from us. We make up things that are not true. And we stick them on God because we don't believe as much as we think. We're the body of Christ. We are part of the supernatural forever family that the Spirit of God has created. We will forever love with all that is in us every believer and spend eternity with them under what Christ has done we are joined and we so easily fracture and misuse and are offended and separate from those who are the body of Christ with us because we we believe it but we don't believe it as much as we think. Because 
The truth is, for some of these realities, they're beyond our experience. How do we understand eternity to be eternally minded? How do we understand how magnificent is the glory of Christ that he really is? All that we need to be satisfied just in himself. We haven't physically seen him or heard his voice. And some of you are, it's a lifelong challenge to grow in understanding of things too vast for our minds to, to circle around. Again, we need help believing as we need help remembering. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so, faithfully being under it and then talking about it. In being part of a small group where what you heard, and you think, yeah, I agreed with what was said, but to talk about it of, well, what does this mean? How do you handle that? How does that come into life? Talking through it, that we dig into it more. The Holy Spirit's voice to give time to hear Him who brings conviction. Part of why the Spirit is given. John says in, in chapter 16 of his gospel, the Spirit is given, Jesus said, because you don't believe the truth about sin, about eternity, about the kingdom. We need to understand these things. The Spirit does speak and direct us. But if we rush through days without giving time to him, how do we hear Jesus really is better than we believe. None of Jesus' followers were expecting resurrection. Joseph wasn't when he rolled that stone in front of the grave. The women weren't as they gathered the spices and ointments. None of them were expecting it, but Jesus rose just the same. And the implications of that, Jesus raising himself from the dead, the implications of that are staggering. And in the next couple weeks, as we deal with this, we'll look into that more. But we can say this, Jesus' resurrection shows us he's not just another teacher. He's not just another anything. He is God in flesh. Savior, Lord, he is the one with authority and power over everything, including death. There's only one, and no one else is close to him and what he can do. So he's worth your time, your thoughts, your attention. Jesus is not only risen, he is reigning and he is returning, and you will see him. You will see him. And that also has staggering implications. How do we live now? The recognition that the time is just speeding along to when you will be before him. 
He is at the end of everything in your life. Every circumstance, every burden, every relationship, everything you're pursuing, you keep following that line. Eventually, you come to when you will stand before Christ. And so what do these things mean? And what hold do they have on us? And how do we walk through them when the end of all of them is standing before Christ? That cannot be changed. That's how it ends. We come before him one way or another. And this Jesus has an eternal kingdom. And if you have trusted in him, that kingdom is yours. That is your home. That is your life. That is your hope. If the disciples had fully believed what Jesus said, what would they have done differently? How, how would they have responded? My guess is there wouldn't have been a stone in front of the tomb. And I think maybe everyone would have been there. Everyone would have been waiting if they really believed. He was coming out. Who would not want to have been there to see it? But that's a question to ask ourselves. If we fully believe Jesus died and was raised for us, that he reigns and he's returning and he has a kingdom, and we're going to see him. If we fully believe that, what would be different in how we live? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for these truths of what Jesus has done because of who he is and because of your heart toward us of what you've made true and in our struggle to receive it and believe it we ask for your help and particularly we ask now for those who've never fully trusted in him may eyes be open to see how wonderful it is that Jesus is all that he claimed. Cause them to see it and want it. Call all, help all of us to see it and want it more. In Jesus' name, amen.